Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're with Michael Seeley today. He is a sports psychologist, a mental performance coach, and psychotherapist. So we we talk a lot on this show about the mental approach to the game. Brig and I do um, team cohesion. What happens to a guy when he gets demoted? Things like that. So we actually wanted to talk to somebody who knows about this stuff rather than just continue to speculate as we do <laughs> about all of it because that goes on far too much. But Michael, I think our first question for you is: I mean. As far as baseball goes and sports in general, I mean, ha- having grown up playing played sports, Brig and I, we, we feel like a team cohesion, clubhouse cohesion is really important. Do you feel like that that is as big of a deal as fans make it out to be? Like, oh my gosh, there is like something going on in that clubhouse that's just ruined things and just wrecked the entire season. Is that a real thing or is it just like sometimes things fall, things fall apart? I think it's the, the biggest factor if we're talking about team sports is that that team culture, um, especially, you know, it, it comes down to the leadership, really, of, of the team, of yeah. uh, leading by example, setting the tone, uh, for example, like how does, you know, how does the leader react, say, if someone strikes out and you lose the game, right? Is there, do they hide their emotions? Do they express their emotions? Do they say, hey, good job, we'll try harder next time? Um, you know, the, is the culture and the tone of the team is huge and that's generally from the leader, but it can be from some high, uh, big personalities on the team as well. So they have a leadership, uh, part as well. Yeah. So it's really setting the tone. So what's the culture? What is it okay to, is it okay to lose? Right? Like, is there blame? Is there support? Um, all those kinds of things are, are essential. And you can tell when you can just look at a dugout in a game and you can kind of see the vibe of what's going on often. And um, yeah, it's just really, it comes down to the leader and just being infectious in a good way. Like, Hey, I'm going to lead by example. So yeah, it's um, culture, tone, leadership, very important. Yeah. Do you think we it's... talk about, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. I, I just have a follow up with that. Like as far as how guys react to let's, let's say specifically a strikeout, do you think it matters how guys react to that kind of stuff outward? I mean, I, mean, I guess that's what you said is it matters how they um, react outwardly, but is it because you hear guys talk about like, Oh, we love that he broke his bat because it shows that he cares. Right. Mm-hmm. Or is it better for him to just kind of shrug it off and be like, I'll get him next time. Failure happens in this game. It's tough. Or would you rather have him just kind of like almost flipping about it? Like this guy's dealing, I struck out. It happens, mm-hmm. you know, is there, is there one of those that you feel like is a better approach for somebody to have, for somebody to have the outburst or to just kind of be quiet about it when they fail? Yeah, it's really individual to the players. So the, um, you know, most baseball teams now have a sports psychologist either on staff or that works in the, in the preseason with them. Um, it's very common now didn't used to be. But if, you, if you're talking about um, maybe a team that's not using a sports psychologist like college or you know, high school or little league or something, 
Um, again, the coach really sets the tone for that and has to know each individual player's personality. Maybe there's players who actually respond well to being criticized, like pisses them off. Oh, pardon yeah. my French, but you know, like right. um, it's uh, it, you just have to know the each individual player. Some really need a lot of compassion and encouragement, um, more so than you would think. So um, it's really up to the leader of the team to know the personality of the players and know what works. You know, generally speaking, you don't want to be overly critical. You don't want to be like a like a Bobby Knight in basketball or something like that, throw chairs. Right. But there are some players who actually respond well to that. So you have to kind of know how to take care of each individual player, um, maybe give them some time out or, or whatever it is. So that's, that's just really the art of almost being like an amateur psychologist, like really knowing what the proper response is, keeping your own emotions in check as the leader of if you're angry or you're frustrated with a player, don't show that really just don't show that you need to set that stoic example because it's really all about the players. It's not about you as a leader. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that leads me to my next question. We've seen managers get fired all season long this year. And I I'm really wondering because you're right that the leadership, the head coach, the manager of the team, they're in charge of culture. They're in charge of, of the nuances of personality management and all of that. So what happens to a team when their coach gets jerked away from them partway through the season? You know, whether things are going poorly or, or, or even just less than expected or what? Like, what, what does that do to a player's mind? Well, you know, the two questions. So what does it do to each individual player's mind? That, that depends, right? Um, but typically, as you'd expect, it's going to be a blow psychologically to the team, you know, like the rug pulled out underneath them. Although it could be a relief, depending, right? If it's a bad fit, yeah. they could, thank God we got rid of that guy. Uh, kind of depends. But the, once that um, leader's kicked out, fired, or whatever, as I mentioned earlier, there are some star players, bigger personalities, charismatic players on the team who will maybe fill that vacuum momentarily. Or mm -hmm. they've always kind of been in a semi-leadership role, and it's kind of up to them in a way to keep that spirit alive. Like, hey, we are a franchise. We're a team before we're, you know, before our manager or whatever. It's like we are yeah. the Brewers or the Yankees. Like, um, so yeah, certainly it's uh, could be a big psychological hit, but uh, it depends if the, if the guy sucks or if he's great, you know. Right. Um, but generally speaking, it's going to be a big hit because it just throws everything off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things we saw earlier this year was we saw Joe Madden get fired in in Anaheim. And it was almost like things didn't change. They still have played terrible ever since then. You know, they didn't end the losing streak after he got fired. But then in Toronto, um, Charlie Montoya got fired and Bo Bichette comes out and he's like, I don't disagree with the decision. Right. Almost you know, like cheerleading. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can see that, that it, it does have, have both sides. Um, mm. One of the things uh, we talk a lot about routine with baseball players. Like I've heard a lot of guys talk about how they don't like to buy going into the playoffs because pitchers are like, I've got to have my routine. I've got to throw every five days. I've got to have to throw my bullpen, whatever, you know? So I'm curious if, do you feel like other sports guys are as big of creatures of habit as they are in baseball? Like football players, do they have to have that routine where it's like, I have to get hit every seven days or is it more along the lines of just kind of like, Oh, I'll just go with it. I'll just roll with whatever. I think baseball especially is very big on routine ritual 
sometimes superstition. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, baseball is a very, very mental game. Um, yeah. Mainly because it's, I mean, similar to golf in that you play in these bursts and you have a lot of time to really just be in your head and, and overthink. So that's, um, if a player can get at least the illusion of control, of some sort of control being through ritual, it actually calms your anxiety quite a bit, even though mm. logically it may not make sense, but having that sort of structural control uh, calms the nerves so that if you can come into the game or the, the practices with this particular routine, you show up and you feel kind of like solid, like, okay, I'm ready. Whereas um, some other sports where there's a lot of athleticism involved, you're burning off the adrenaline right away by, you know, running or getting hit by a linebacker or something like that. So I think, yeah, to answer your question, I think the ritual routine is very important in baseball just because it is such a mental game. Is there a, let's talk about superstition. Yeah, let's, sure. let's get into that because superstition is it has been a big part of my life, right? I grew up doing the baseball thing and then it's sort of carried on. I'm a writer and I every time I come out to my office to write, I have this ritual that I go through. I, I have a, a ringside bell like at a boxing ring and I ring it three times to kind of get my head in the game. I'm like, now here we are. We're in the ring, buddy. We got to, it's time to write today. And when I'm done with my 60 to 90 minute writing session, I ring it three more times. Mm -hmm. So I get it. I just don't know how common it is um, with with athletes uh, and baseball players are I think are particularly superstitious. We know the fan base is, but tell us about superstition with athletes. Well, like I was saying, it is it's a way. Even though if it's illogical, it's a way to get you feeling like you have some sort of control, or it could be like a little psych up routine, like ringing the bell, like that kind of amps you up. Yeah. Um, and if it can get you into the zone, get you into the state, I would say whatever works, you know, within right. reason. It, um, I do remember when I was bike racing as a teenager, I had a friend who had some lucky socks. Yeah. And this one race, he couldn't find them and he was just freaking out and just had a terrible race. And that's an example of like maybe over relying on some superstition stuff. But generally, like whatever works, if it's not unless it's, you know, like super extreme and that maybe that's the problem. So, mm hmm. Yeah, we've seen that in baseball, so the super extreme thing. With players, there's one in particular. We won't name names, but he used to throw the baseball about as far as he could, and that was his final warm-up throw before he pitched the game. And it was – and to, to the rest of – you know, there was this divide in the fandom about, like, wow, he's eccentric. This is bananas, this guy. And the other fans said, wow, like, whatever works, right? We don't care. We just want him to perform. Right. So it, within a clubhouse, though, with on a team, does that do you see that same dynamic play out where some guys roll their eyes and other guys will say whatever he needs to do? And yeah, I, th I think there's just like you know respect for the results. Like if you've made it to the major leagues, you're on a team. Like you're just good, you know. Um, so I mean, maybe they make fun of each other just for fun. I would imagine that kind of happens, you know, yeah. like you have to have your particular type of chewing gum at a certain time, a certain inning or whatever, like, yeah, whatever works. I haven't encountered, you know, athletes complaining that they have some OCD ritual that they're, you know, they're made fun of. Um, hmm. But it does, it does make me think of um, the yips though, like um, and rituals yeah. there. You ever see, um, there's this great movie about Mackie Sasser from the Mets from the, from mm -hmm. the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, Never saw it. It's, it's really worth watching. 
So Mackie Sasser was a you know, he was a catcher for the for the Mets, and he had um, someone slid into home and just really nailed him hard. He got really hit. Um, someone was sliding into him, and that reactivated uh, a childhood trauma that he was like didn't even really wasn't even really thinking about, and he started getting the yips after that. And so he had this thing where he would have to tap his glove three times before he would throw it back to the pitcher. And it got to be it got to be a real problem, a real problem. Um, huh. But his way of coping with his anxiety was tapping one, two, three. It even got so bad that um, you know they play away games. The fans would go one, two, three, start chanting to like mock him. It's pretty mm -hmm. devastating. Um, wow. Anyway, there's a if you go on YouTube and check out just Mackie Sasser uh, yips, like you'll get the whole video. And he was eventually cured by this technique called brain spotting, which is similar brain to, spotting. yeah, similar to a methodology called EMDR in psychotherapy. I, yeah, I'm a big fan of EMDR. Okay, yeah, I mean, really helps with, with athletes. Um, it can, not always. But anyway, brain spotting is a, just like a variation on that. And uh, this guy worked with Mackie Sasser and he's a, he's a coach now, Mackie is. And so that actually helped him kind of uh, post-baseball career, but, uh, but yeah, he had this little one, two, three ritual and it calmed his nerves, but they got out of hand and uh, yeah. it became a crutch, you know, it sounds like. And right, right. And, and it, it it brought its own, you know, problems like and, and that's the way it goes. Right. Trauma kind of begets trauma, be kind of begets trauma. And you're in survival mode. At least a percentage of you is in survival mode. And some of those crutches you adopt to withstand the whatever problem you're in the middle of facing, they kind of create their own problems. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's, I don't think anybody's immune to that. Right. But, but in a high pressure, high intensity situation with, with baseball or any other athlete, is it, is it that much more intense for them as we might think it is? Yeah. Again, I think it's an individual kind of thing. I mean, some people um, are actually kind of wired more on the anxiety side than, mm. than others. And you can even, there was this, um, this big study was done like maybe 10, 15 years ago where a bunch of psychologists uh, tried to guess the personality of babies and they followed the sample group for the next 20 years. And they did all these tests with them. And it was a, like a whole bunch of babies and they predicted with like 75% uh, accuracy, something like that. Like wow. temperament. Yeah. So some of it is just like, you could be more wired to be a little anxious, meaning yeah. that, let me rephrase that. You could be wired such that an outside stressor will amp you up more than someone else. Mm -hmm. So making sure I'm clear with those words, because there can be this kind of misnomer that, you know, anxiety is like your own problem and it's all internal. And I say, yeah. no, it's the interaction between the stressor and how you react or respond to that. Some people's limbic system will just light up like, oh, my God, you know, like fight or flight. Others will be more chill, right? And they may be prone yeah. to maybe depression. So it's kind of like we're, we're all wired in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, that, uh, anxiety can get in the way. And um, there's, there's a lot of, lot of ways to deal with it, even if it's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the yips real quick, though, you talked about tapping the mitt three times. I remember Jared Saltalamacchia had to tap his wrist with the ball uh, oh, before okay. he threw it back to the pitcher because he would overthrow it. And even I, in high school, I figured out 
I could not hit the broadside of a barn if I didn't tap my glove first. So mm. to this day, still I'll be playing catch with my son. I have to tap him. Like even if I catch barehanded, I have to tap my hand with the with the ball before I throw it, or else it's like out of routine and it messes me up. Yeah, it's a yeah. weird thing. It's really weird. Mm. Yeah, and there's that fine line between say that little ritual that kind of gets you centered and focused, and then something that gets to be problematic, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I feel like something small like that—that's that's not a big deal. But tapping three times, that could <laughs> that could be problematic. Yeah, <laughs> be a that's deal. a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really curious about guys and their mental state when they get a demotion, whether it's like a big leaguer getting sent down to the minor leagues, or even somebody who gets benched. Like you know, you talk about getting Wally pipped. You know, you lose yeah. your job to a guy for whatever reason, whether you're injured or something else. Um, is is there, I mean, you talk about somebody being wired differently to be able to like handle something like that. What kind of personality or mental state does it take for a guy like that to like break him, right? For a demotion to just like, it's like done. That's it. Once he gets that first mm-hmm. demotion. Yeah, no, it's, that is, that's common. I mean, you hear stories about people getting booted down the miners and making it back up. And there's definitely, there's a number of stories like that. It's not like uncommon. But yeah, it can be a big uh, blow to your ego. So I, I use the word ego, right? If you want to think about it in that respect, um, of what that means, what that means to you, to your identity, especially, especially for a young player, because they're really forming their identity like I'm I'm going to be a professional baseball player, right? And if that's even put in in danger, especially for a younger person, it can be really kind of knock them off. Um, So yeah, again, it depends on your personality, how you react to anxiety, things like that. I think another big one is like your support system. So if you're Mm -hmm. what your family says, like if you have maybe um, over anxious little league parents all your whole life and they're like, you know, you got to man up and go in there and they put all this pressure on you to get back up to the majors. Like that's not going to help. Um, also like your, your team and your coach and, and yeah, so support system around you, if that does happen. Um, I would say also how you want to, how you want to frame that demotion. You want to look at it as like, like I suck, or do you want to externalize that and kind of get more aggressive? Like I'm going to show them like that can mm-hmm. be helpful too that yeah. kind of you go to war like i'm i'm going to show them like even though that may not be healthy off the field if you're for sports if it'll get you back up there that that might be the way to do it and a lot of athletes i work with sometimes the solution to a lot of problems is just going aggressive just like getting into that battle mindset can give you that that adrenaline and that that's fortitude like i'm i'm going to show them that could that could be helpful for someone who's been booted down to the minors, but you're right, it is a big blow, and it's um, it's hard to hard to come back from that for sure. I okay, I got to jump in here because you can't be at war twenty four seven, right? Right. So you have to have boundaries internally, and you have to have mental barriers that I always say you have. Sometimes you have to have bumpers to hit pins, right? So. My question is, if a guy goes there and he says, well, I'm going to show them this is the hill I'm going to die on and I'm going to do whatever it takes. How do you make sure how do you help that person not take it too far and ruin the rest of their life or 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 sacrifice time with family or self-care or any number of other things that that will disrupt the equilibrium later? Like, what do you do? Yeah. 
No, great question and, and definitely a danger, right? So if you're, you're taking it too seriously, being really hard on yourself, uh, yelling at your, your spouse or whatever it is, going to war. When I work with athletes, I, I talk about this concept of compartmentalization. It's a fancy way of saying like, keep the different parts of your life separate as much as possible. So that yeah. works for, for a lot of us who have, who have jobs, like don't take your job home with you if you can. Try to have that split. Um, try to have in your marriage, have a date night. Like having that that particular unit separate from the family, um, compartmentalizing can be helpful. It's, it is, again, hard for a young athlete who is passion and all their identity is just thrown into baseball. That's why it's good for athletes to have other stuff besides baseball, like a little mm -hmm. side hobby or friends or like a, a favorite vacation they like to take. Or even better, some of the athletes I work with, um, we focus on their their plan after baseball or plan after their sport. Like, what do you want to do after, right? And yeah. have that always in mind because you can't play baseball to your 50. Well, maybe you can, but, you know, most people, right? <laughs> Generally speaking, like around 40, you're, you're kind of kind of done, right? So you yeah. have to, and then you got your whole life ahead of you after that. So um, talking about a post-career, you know, post-athletic career plan um, mm. can be helpful, even, even starting at like age... 18, 19. Yeah. Right? And talking about the scenario, what happens if you get an injury and your career? What happens if you get booed down the Like, What are you going to do? Talking about the scary stuff proactively can be helpful. So if it does happen or if it happens to one of your teammates, you can kind of coach them and help them. A lot of athletes are afraid to talk about that worst case scenario. What if I get into a batting slump that never ends? You know, like if you talk about that with a mental performance coach or your own coach or whatever, and get that out, it really diminishes the fear because it's really in the end, it's not that scary. Interesting. So yeah, that's fascinating. So we, okay, my military career ended abruptly because of an injury. And so it's a lot like an athlete, right? Where you've got this plan, you've got this trajectory, everybody's telling you all this stuff about how great you are and what you're capable of and what the next promotion might look like or whatever. And, and your identity's wrapped up in it. It's in the military, it's, you know, you don't leave work very easily, right? There's yeah. no, it's not easy to compartmentalize. And I assume it's the same with an athlete because their schedules are just packed with baseball related or sports specific activity. And even when they go home there, I have to be to bed on time because I have to get up tomorrow and do the thing. I have to do this. And it's not that different from normal people, but I feel like there's a, there's, it's not as laissez faire. You, you don't get to be an elite athlete and, and be casual about most of your life. So, so what do you, how do you do? Like, my question is all about boundaries mm -hmm. still, because I had such a hard time with that. My identity was totally wrapped up in that. And I didn't know any different. I didn't expect to, to be done. And I sat there in front of the doctor and he said, he literally said to me, you'll never soldier again. Mm -hmm. And it had never occurred to me. I was 26. I had never crossed my mind. It happens to players all the time, athletes all the time. Yeah, it does. I, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the initial shock is going to just, just really, really kick you in the pants, right? Like, or in the gut or whatever. Like, it's going to be, it's going to feel devastating, right? Um, and to the extent that it's possible, once that sort of devastation wears off, you naturally are going to fall into a bit of a depression. Like, that's probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just normalizing. So if I'm yeah. 
well, I've worked with athletes who are injured and like basically maybe they can't do their sport or they can only do it at a, a lower level. So it's a level of working to acceptance of that is really hard. But one thing that can be helpful is getting it out of the ego and thinking about how can I serve people mm. in my present condition? How can I leverage this to help people that are in the same position? So like your experience, right, could be maybe there's folks like say if you wanted to be a, a coach for um, you know, soldiers who are injured or, you know, their careers ended early, like that you could be helping so many more people that would, you wouldn't have if you would have never been injured. Right. So it's that sort mm -hmm. of that glass half full mentality. And, um, that can be taken into when an athlete is even performing at their best too. no injuries, like yeah. saying, Hey, it's not about you. It's about, it's about the fans. It's about this beautiful game of baseball. It's not about you, dude. Like that can mm. be really empowering. You know, you know, you don't, you don't think so, but it can be really empowering. It takes the pressure off so that if you lose, you lose with grace. Right. Mm. Like there's this, That's there's this brilliant. quote. Yeah. There's this Joe DiMaggio quote where I think if I, I remember someone like a reporter was asking him, like, how do you stay so motivated? He's like, he says, whenever I get up to bat, I think there's a kid in the stands who's watching me for the very first time. And he said, I owe it to that kid to perform at my best. I mean, isn't that deep? Like that's, that's so great. Right. Because like then that. it's not about you. And it's like, oh, wow. Like if I strike out, I'm not going to throw my back because there's a kid watching. Or if I hit a home run, I'm not going to, you know, over celebrate like an idiot. Like, there's, there's somebody watching. So if someone gets hmm. injured in their sport, like, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to really suck. But then you say, how can I serve other people? Right. How is, how can I turn this into an opportunity? And there's a period of mourning, to be honest. It's like this, this identity kind of died. Totally. That's it. Yeah. If you can accept that, it's like, Hey, I'm still Brig. I'm still, you know, Mike, I'm still Brad. Like I'm still the essence, the spirit, the soul of that of that person, I can do whatever the heck I want. Yeah. Like, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's rough, man. Yeah. Yeah. Is that why you see guys who are like, when they get kind of later in their career, like the one who comes to mind immediately is Matt Carpenter. He's thrown by the wayside from the Cardinals. And then he didn't start the season with the team. Then he signs with the Yankees and he comes in as not an everyday player, everyday starter, but he comes off the bench and all the dude does or did until he got hurt was all he did was hit homers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you need a homer, bring in Matt Carpenter as a pinch hitter. He's going to hit it out for you. So it's like he's playing better now in these small stints than he was in his prime even. Is that because he's identified his new role with this team? That he's like, I can serve these guys better coming off the bench and just give it all I've got for one at bat and then go from there? Or is it just like a revitalization of his career? Like, like do you think it's more the role? that he's accepted and it's like a mental thing. I would suspect so. Yeah. I think you're onto something there. I think that, I mean, everyone's talking about that. Like, Hey, he's, here's his role. Right. So he hears about it. He's like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's my niche. You know, that's what I do. So I, I would guess not having talked to him, but like that would, that would make sense. Um, certainly the, the team culture environment, all that makes a difference as well. But uh, yeah, you know, identity is a tricky thing, right? Because you can, 
it can really, really energize your ego. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, Reggie Jackson, Mr. October or whatever. Like you have these these nicknames um, and that can, when, when you're on, that can really fuel your ego and help you. But when you're off, you're like, oh man, I'm no longer Mr. October or whatever it is. And that's where that, that ego trick comes in there too. Right. But I suspect with, you know, yeah. With Carpenter's role, it's like, yeah, that makes sense to me that he's like, this is my niche. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm helping my, my team. I feel good. I'm confident. Yeah. Just happy to be here. Right. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's really cool. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Cause you see it like a lot of times you see it in the playoffs. In 2016, Jason Hayward was playing terribly, but he became the vocal leader and it was ended up being a big deal. So I think it's, I think it's really cool. Really cool. Um, do you have, an athlete you can think of off the top of your head who might have been the most mentally tough that you've ever seen, either somebody you've worked with or somebody you've seen um, just from a distance. Yeah. Well, I, I can cite examples from my cycling career. Um, there was a guy, uh, his name is Bob Mianski. He got uh, fourth place in the 1988 Olympics in the road race, which was the best result like ever in cycling, I think before um, there might've been someone better before that. Um, I, um, I trained and raced with him a lot and he was the most psychologically tough, like human kind of I've ever met <laughs> pretty, pretty incredible. Like someone who could just suffer and, and just put him through, like just push himself to the limit. Um, hmm. That would, that would be an example. Someone I've worked with personally, um, Certainly, like, I'm not going to name names because just the, the counseling thing, sure. but I'll say um, I worked with an athlete who um, had just really the chips were down in, in his life and a lot of like personal problems, all these things, you know, like death in the family, like a lot of a lot of really rough stuff. And he just just had this faith like that the things like no matter what, I'm going to keep going. And he, I mean, it was it was rough for him. But he showed up every day, kept practicing. Um, and it's not like I didn't have to coach him, but like I just had to kind of reinforce and echo like his strengths. And mm. that helped. That helped. So, yeah, athletes who are, you know, going through a, like tough personal stuff, you know, that's 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 pretty rough. Um, and if that shows fortitude there, like if there's something really rough that happens in your personal life and you can stay focused in your sport. Wow. Like you are really mentally tough. How do you do that without becoming codependent, right? On your ritual or with your sport or with the members of your team, coaching staff or, or whatever, because I think normal, I, I hate to say normal people, but those of us who are not superstar athletes, those of mm -hmm. us who are not being paid to play games, um, you know, we, we fall into codependent tendencies all the time. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so easy to use work as a crutch. Mm -hmm. Um, do, do, do athletes do that too? I mean, I assume they would. I would say, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, um, that's a big trap, right? So you could be, have your marriage just, you know, held together by a thread and you're out there knocking out home runs and that's your, that's kind of your drug, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's certainly a danger. And I think eventually that comes back to bite you any kind of codependent relationship or be it alcohol, be it uh, sports, be it whatever. Like yeah. it'll come back to bite you, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a trap. Um, when I work with athletes, I, I do this life domains assessment. I say, tell me all the compartments of your life 
the, I mean, everything you can think of and rate your level of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And right from the get, that's like, that's a really good triage. Like, okay, all right, you're telling me that you're in a batting slump and you're on the verge of divorce. Dude, like that's your problem right there. Like that needs to be fixed through psychotherapy. Then you can start thinking about getting your, your batting back on track. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, that there, there can be like some codependency there with the sport, the team, um, even members of the team, like, you know, yeah. hiding your problems and not dealing with your problems. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating when you get into that world of codependency, everything starts to blossom in a whole new way, doesn't it? Certainly does. Certainly does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually have, I was thinking about this, about the mental toughness thing, because I had somebody tell me one time that that this was, but I'm beginning to wonder if maybe it was like I had a screw loose at the time, but I had a coach <laughs> just like in my face yelling at me one time in high school. This is during a baseball game. I, I, I went to lay down a sack bunt and bunted it back to the pitcher. And I knew that I messed it up. And, uh, and he came at me after was like, yelling at me do not bunt the ball back to the pitcher and the only thing i could do was laugh because i just thought that his reaction was so funny so would that something like a reaction like that be considered mental toughness or would that just be like i know it's just i just got like a screw loose somewhere <laughs> I, I think it just shows that you were more mature than the coach <laughs> honestly it's like really dude so you're like you're like this, this guy's hilarious it's like really you're you're out here yelling at me like this is not not the major leagues like even if it was like yeah, yeah. so i think that was a perfectly appropriate reaction okay that's good to know sometimes i like that pops into my head sometimes i'm like was that like the appropriate way to react to that i don't know because i think he made me run the next practice because he didn't think it was as funny as i did but Anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, there's, there's that fine line of like, how do you motivate players? If you're a coach and you're bullying, like that's that kind of looks like bullying in a way, in a way. Right. It's like psychological yeah. bullying. So, of course, the appropriate reaction is you put your head down. You know, guys suck and you internalize that aggression, internalize it into you. Then your performance goes down. But there are some players who uh, use that as fuel, like, yeah, I'm going to show you, coach. And that's pretty rare, though. Um, mm. but for you to laugh shows a really level of maturity. Like you're, a, you're like, you're a grown man and you're doing this right now to me. Like, really? So <laughs> I say hats <laughs> off to you, man. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. laughs> well, and you know, as far as like going into like the mental, I guess not that more of like the bullying and then like also like punishment kind of thing with, with athletes. I don't like as like, I coach my, my son's little league team and I have for a couple of years now and as a coach, I don't like to make the kids run mm -hmm. because my opinion is running is good for you and something that's good for you should not be a punishment. I don't want them to internalize that and have a negative connotation with it. Mm. Right. Like, would that be an okay approach with that? But then at the same time, that's the only thing that they respond to sometimes is like run into the fence and back, you know? So is there like a fine line that you can, balance those things because the last thing i want to do is have my run my son and other kids hate running by the time they're like 12 years old right yeah is there a kind of approach that you can take with that to make it so that it works well i mean if the if the goal is to develop player character uh have better performance if that's the goal always keeping the goal in mind um and if the punishment is a way to 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 get them to reflect right and to self uh, self-regulate and that's, you know, those are your goals. 
um, you got to check yourself of like, I'm mad at them. I don't want to give them something that's going to, you know, make benefit them. Like if it works for them, I would say, great. I would say, yeah, do the running. Um, but yeah, just checking in with yourself of like, what's my goal here, right? I want to get them to self-regulate. I want to get them to be, feel good about uh, winning, losing, sportsmanship, all this stuff. However, I can do that. So the, the punishment is more just like a timeout, really, right? It's kind of like, mm. gets them to reflect, like, oh, we screwed up. And the, the running gives them time to process that. Sitting in a corner, right, being benched or something also gives time for processing, too. But you got to be careful with, like, indulging in the, in the punishment. Like, I got to make sure that they're not happy when they're doing this. It's like, mm, yeah, maybe not. Um, mm. I don't know if that helps to think about it that way. That does because my approach has always been like go sit on the bench for a few minutes, think about it, and then you can come back back out. Because I feel like not being involved for some of those kids is more of a punishment than just like running, especially since a lot of them have so much energy, you know. Yeah. And the other thing too is that like, you know, going back to a crazy high school coach, his punish his punishment was always you will run until I'm tired of watching you run. <laughs> And so, and I was telling my wife too, I was like, that was always more, way more miserable than the required conditioning that I could run mm -hmm. all day if it was conditioning. But if I was in trouble, I didn't want to do any of it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I guess it goes back to the balance with all of it, but I don't know. Just yeah. the thoughts I had. Yeah. The, the form of punishment. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, again, whatever gives that, that athlete some time to reflect and understand, you know, where they messed up. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. I, like that. I have so, I have so many questions. I'm trying to sift through which ones make the most sense. But uh, so I have questions about shame culture versus attaboys. And have you see is there more prevalence of one versus the other in your experience? And does it change with individual sports versus team sports and things like that? Mm. You know, so the players that come to see me have problems. So I don't see a lot of players who are doing great. So it's sure. like... And, and very frequently there is, especially in team sports, there's a problem with the coach or with, with a parent um, yeah. where it is a lot of shaming and not much attaboy stuff. So I see, you see a lot of the shaming and it could be subtle. It could be you know, giving them the silent treatment, um, these kinds of things. Um, yeah. It's, you know, certainly it's all too common. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen this in little league of just, coaches who are just take it way too seriously or a parent who takes it way too seriously and does the shaming, you know, in front of them. Um, it's brutal. It's, uh, yeah. it's not necessary. It's, it's, it's an ego problem with the coach and the parent. They're not the, the eye on, keeping their eye on the ball, pardon the, uh, the apt metaphor, but you know, like the whole point is to develop character and sportsmanship and confidence in that, in that kid. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, even at the the top levels too, you can have uh, coaches who are shame based, and the those players are a little more resilient. But still, like uh, I, I don't think it's a good approach generally. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. borderline. It could be abusive. It's taken too far, right? And that's not something we want to subject our kids to, specifically. Yeah, and also, I mean, you don't want to be, you know, Pollyannish either. You don't want to be the coach that's just in denial and give pep talks all the time like the right. players know that's bs too right so it's kind of like you can have a really strict intense conversation or talk with your team and like 
And if it's coming from a place of love, like they'll get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's really, it depends on your intention as the coach. Like people can read your intentions a mile away. Yeah. So you can get, you can get mad at a player and even repair that afterwards, but it's your intention and the player will read that intention because there's some coaches are just mean and they'll just, right. They'll, yeah. They'll just have it out for a player. Like literally they will just not like that player and they're acting like a child. It's like, dude, you're, you know, you're 40 years old or 50 years old and you're a coach and you've got a grudge against a kid like really like you know so it's yeah. really it comes down to intention like what the coach's intention really yeah that's great yeah. and so we have a lot of our listeners are their parents they have children that play sports and you know or nieces and nephews or even grandchildren like what can we do as coaches assistant coaches you know parents at home family members that are on the support team what can we do to help with the mental training and the character development of the, of these child athletes. Yeah. It's uh, well, first of all, just don't be mean, don't be shame-based, don't be abusive. Like, and, and it, what obviously like uh, it often comes from a place of love from the parent in a weird way. Like I want the best for my kid. I'm going to yell at them. I'm, you know, don't really just trust the kid's journey. It's really all about the kid. If the kid doesn't, make it at the majors, you know, life is rich and beautiful and they'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um, but it is tricky. So like if you're a parent and maybe you have a kid who's in a slump, right. And they love the sport, right. Um, there can be the tendency, well, I'm going to be the hands off parent and not get over involved, but that's maybe a mistake too. So mm. it's kind of finding that, that, that line between uh, being supportive, um, letting them have that, what we call optimal frustration so that they can, you know, grow from the experience. Um, it, it's tricky. It's, it's kind of like reading, reading the kid's mood. Like if, if a kid is really out of sorts and, you know, feeling depressed and, you know, not seeing his friends, like that's a, that's a depression and you want to get the kids some clinical help. Mm -hmm. If it's just a slump and they're still able to be a little bit cheerful, you know, and their grades aren't going down, like those are the big signs, the warning signs, grades dropping, not talking to friends, alarm bells, like kids depressed, get them some help. Yeah. But if it's, you know, milder, you can be supportive by um, being there enough, but not too much. And if you know your kid or if you're a coach, you kind of, you should know your players, what's the level of support they, they need? Do they need time to just kind of chill and process or do they need that immediate encouragement and being careful with saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, because that's that's not true. And the kid knows you're just trying to be too nice, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like it, and it comes down to, like, it's okay to lose. Someone has to lose, someone has to win, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. Someone has to be in a slump, someone doesn't. Uh, so it, let, let the kid kind of just observe, just really observe. I think that's the most important thing. How are they handling it? And give them yeah. some space. But then, yeah, give them a little support if they need it. Um, they need a lot. Yeah. Get them some help. That's awesome. I heard a quote recently that we might be able to end on actually, and that it's that uh, intimacy is the antidote to madness. And I feel like when a kid's in a slump or when a kid or in a player of any kind is, is really in their own head. I mean, they get these storylines they start to create and they, and this it's kind of a form of madness where you're just caught in your own head and you can't break out. So it sounds to me like what you're advocating is a very intimate approach 
to sit down and assess the child's needs or the player's needs at any level and say, what is it that you need right now that I can do for you, regardless of your own agenda? Am I reading you right? Yeah, it's basically uh, talk about the scariest thing, right? Yeah, even even proactively. Um, so if, if you're worried that your your kid's going to quit baseball, maybe they've only been kind of halfway interested in it in any way and you're kind of pushing them, like, don't make that your identity as a parent. My kid's going to play or, you know, um, it. Yeah. Talking about the, the, the biggest fear, the hardest thing, like, do you want to quit? And the kid says, yeah. And they say, yeah, in a way where, you know, they're just kind of discouraged. Like you can read that. Right. Yeah. Like just always talking about the truth. And that's tough for for mm. any of us to do, really. Yeah. Um, so you know, when I work with athletes, it's like we're in a you know a safe space. It's such a, a cliche, but it's true. But I'll, we'll even reenact hypotheticals and role play. Like, here's your worst fear. We're we're doing this one on one. Pretend you're in a slump, right? Yeah. And you get hit by a pitch. And then if you do it in that in that space and and kind of role play it, that can be that can be really helpful. Um, but yeah, like just the intimacy, maybe a simile with just telling the truth. I like love that. Yeah, I love that. I think that's exactly that's right. Awesome. That's great. Mike, where Fantastic. can we find your stuff? Where where can people uh, interact with you? Yeah, uh, you can just Google me. Um, my last name is uh, spelled uh, C-E-E-L-Y. There's not a lot of spellings that way. So Michael Seely, you just Google that. All my stuff will come up. My therapy practices, um, my mental performance page, which is michaelseely.com. I'm on Instagram a lot too, Michael underscore Seely. Awesome. And this book, Fantastic. we need to know when this book comes out so that we can help proliferate it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been on the back burner. It's, uh, I, I probably need a coach to get this book going. It's one of those <laughs> things, right? So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, we understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see how it goes. That's awesome. Fantastic. Well, well thanks for joining yeah. us. We really appreciate it. Catch new episodes of the Baseball Together podcast every Tuesday.